What should I believe about the family? We've talked about the church. We've talked about holiness. We've talked about the Bible and salvation and sin and a lot of things. We come to a very practical theme today on this family day. What should I believe about the family? We have read these important verses from the first letter of Peter to the church. Peter was a family man. We know that. And so it's important that we pay attention to the inspired apostle of our Lord when he talks about the family. Peter's mother-in-law was ill in Matthew 8. And Jesus went to Peter's house and healed his mother-in-law. So we know that he was a family man. And we know that he must have had a unique home because he kept his mother-in-law there. And as one speaking out of experience, that takes a very special kind of home. That was our privilege for 20 years, to have my mother-in-law live with us before she passed away not quite two years ago. So when a man like Peter speaks about the family, a man of experience and a man anointed of God, we need to read carefully what he has to say. Now, are families the same today as they were when Peter was alive? I suppose there have been a lot of changes. Things are bad in this country today for the family in many ways. One father of four sets of twins sued for divorce on the grounds that his wife was overbearing. One cartoon showed two men talking on a street corner. The caption read, I owe all my success to my family. I didn't want to go home, so I worked late every night. A lady with 11 children got on a bus. The driver asked, are they all yours or are you going on a picnic? She said, they're all mine and believe me, it's no picnic. <laughs> In the midst of all of this, we come to church today to try to find some answers about the modern day family. I believe we can. I have three points. You'll have no problem identifying them or with them. The first point is you wives. The second point is you husbands. The third point is you children. Those are the ingredients that make up a family. And in this chapter of 1 Peter, Peter first addresses the wives. You wives, he says. Now isn't it interesting, gentlemen, that uh, the Holy Spirit, through Peter, speaks first to the wives. Ladies first. That's an old slogan that we've become accustomed to. And in the Bible, it's a very real thing. The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, 1, You wives 
Be submissive to your own husbands. In Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, the theme is there by the Apostle Paul. Wives, be subject to your husbands. So as I said, it's a very real thing in the Bible, this thing of ladies first. The only problem is when the word submission comes up, many of you think in terms of an insignificant doormat. And that is not what this means by any stretch of the imagination. But the Bible does first speak to the wives. Also, Scripture uses the example of Christ and his church when it comes to you wives. You see, the church is submissive to the rule of Christ. And in the same manner, he says, you wives, be submissive to your husbands, just as the church is to Christ, so you be to your husband. It is the glory of the church to be submitted to Christ. It is the glory of the wife to be submitted to her husband. That is the analogy that the Bible so beautifully presents to us. Why did God give this law of submission? That's a good question, and it deserves a good answer. And there is an answer. It is not because he had a grudge against women. Not at all. But for the protection of women and the harmony of the home. That's why God set it up that way. The man is physically stronger. The woman was not intended to take upon her shoulders the responsibility of providing monetary means for the family. That was placed upon the man. He's referred to as the head of the home. So God did it out of love, out of protection for the woman and for the harmony of the home. What we need to get out of our minds in this hour is that the family is not a democracy. The family is not a 50-50 relationship. Husbands and wives should never speak in terms of 50-50, but only in terms of 100-100. That's the way God established it. The wife is 100% a wife, and the husband should be 100% a husband. That is the divine economy and arithmetic of God. Get your facts straight. When you talk about it, that's the way God established it. Back in the book of Proverbs, the very last chapter of Proverbs, God speaks about a virtuous woman. One of these wives that we're speaking about today. In the Proverbs, a picture of what a good wife should be is very clearly delineated. I'm not going to take time to read these verses 
But beginning at verse 10, clear down through verse 31, you will find her attributes. Let me just point out some of them to you. She is capable. She is ambitious. She is a willing worker. She is kind. She is wise, trustworthy. I like this one. Cheerful, providing for her household. One who fears the Lord. That's the last one in this entire chapter. Now, I had the meanest mother in the world, personally, and I'm thankful. Let me read this to you. I had the meanest mother in the world. While other kids ate candy for breakfast, I had to have cereal, eggs, and toast. When others had Cokes and candy for lunch, I had to eat a sandwich. As you can guess, my supper was different from the other kids, but at least I was not alone in my suffering. My sisters and my brothers had the same mean mother as I did. My mother insisted upon knowing where we were at all times. You'd think we were on a chain gang. She had to know who our friends were and what we were doing. She insisted if we said we'd be gone an hour, that we'd be gone an hour or less, not one hour and one minute. I am almost ashamed to admit it, but she actually struck us. Not once, but each time we did as we pleased. Can you imagine someone actually hitting a child just because he disobeyed? Now you can begin to see how mean she really was. The worst is yet to come, however. We had to be in bed by nine each night and up early the next morning. We could not sleep until noon like our friends. So while they slept, my mother actually had the nerve to break the child labor law. She made us work. We had to wash dishes, make the beds, learn to cook, and all sorts of cruel things. I believe she laid awake nights thinking up mean things to do to us. She always insisted upon telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth, even if it killed us, and it nearly did. By the time we were teenagers, she was much worse and wiser, and our life became even more unbearable. None of this tooting the horn of a car for us to come running. She embarrassed us to no end by making our dates and friends come to the door and get us. I forgot to mention, while my friends were dating at the mature age of 12 or 13, my old-fashioned mother refused to let me date until the age of 16. That is if uh, it was for school functions and twice a year. My mother was a complete failure as a mother. None of us has ever been arrested or beaten his mate. Each of my brothers served his service in the country. Look at all the things we missed. 
We never got to march in a protest parade, nor take part in a riot, burn draft cards, and a million and one things that our friends did. And whom do we have to blame? That's right, our mean mother. She forced us to grow up into God-fearing, educated, honest adults. It is with this background that I have now become a father. When my children call me mean, and now my grandchildren, I stand a little taller, and I'm filled with pride. You see, I can thank God for the meanest mother in the whole world, and I'd like to be just like her. That's what Proverbs 31 is all about. If you read it carefully from verse 10 on down to the end, you'll see that kind of mother in those verses. She's there, verse after verse, capable, virtuous, hardworking, not lazy, generous, good spirit, godly. Where are those kind of mothers today? There's one more thing that I want to mention about you wives, and it's in this passage in 1 Peter 3 where Peter talks about your adornment. Do not let your beauty be that outward adorning of arranging the hair, of wearing gold, or of putting on fine apparel, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. That's a strong statement to women in the epistle of 1 Peter. There is a form of beauty which comes from the outward, and I don't want to put that down. I thank God that women today have learned how to arrange their hair and wear a little jewelry in the right places and putting on fine apparel. I don't think Peter is putting that down. What Peter is saying is don't make that your emphasis. Don't think that all of the fashion of the present hour makes you a wife or a mother. That does not, in any stretch of the imagination, do that. We have people today who spend a lot of money and a lot of time trying to get everything on the outward fixed up. We have these surgeons today who can tuck you in and fix you up in all areas of your body. And there are women particularly that flock to these places to get all of this tucking done. Friend, it isn't going to add one day to your life, and it isn't going to impress God on the judgment day. If that is your focus, the Bible speaks to you today. The Bible says that you need to put a little more emphasis on what is on the inside rather than the outside. Peter asks for Christian women to recognize there is a beauty which is far more vital, deeper, of much higher priority. He calls it the hidden person of the heart. And in verse 4, he says, it is very precious in the sight of God. That's what struck me about this text. He does not infer that the outward is precious to God. 
he infers emphatically that the inward person is what is precious in the sight of God. So ladies, how are you adorned on the inside? You wives, is there in you today those qualities that are spoken of in Proverbs 31? That's what God is concerned about today. I thought of a chorus we used to sing in this light. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me, all his wonderful passion and purity. O thou spirit divine, all my nature refine, till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. That's the emphasis to wives of 1 Peter 3. Now, you husbands, he starts out with a very simple statement, live with your wife. Whether you be Gary Hart, Jim Baker, Pastor Cole, whoever, live with your wife. Now, do I need to stand here and explain that to any of you men? That is a commandment from God. Live with your wife. Period. What words fit this command? What comes to my mind, the word companionship, togetherness, closeness. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. There's that protection. There's that strong spirit of a man guarding and protecting that woman that God brought into his life companionship, togetherness, closeness. We don't have the right to do our own thing if we're talking about biblical husbands. We are supposed to be ministering to the other. Woman was created from the rib of a man. She was not made from his head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon, but out of his side to be equal to him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. You husbands, live with your wife. When the Bible says we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, it speaks of sacrificing oneself for another, just as Christ did for us. Role number one. Number two, it says, know your wife. Dwell with them with understanding. I wonder how many of you really understand your wife. You've taken time to study her. It's an interesting study. And it never ends. It never ends. I'm still studying but I have found that relationship is deepened by knowledge to become sensitive to her, her peculiarities, those unique aspects of her life that are really not a part of mine, yet so very vital to her, like flowers. I could get along forever without having anybody give me a flower but not my wife. So I stopped yesterday and picked her up, a beautiful plant. 
She enjoyed it, appreciated it. It will die, but... Puts me in good stead for now. I have learned through 34 years a lot about her desires, a lot about her goals, a lot about her hopes and her role. My wife's role was not to work. I learned that. I have been the provider for our family, and I thank God I have been. That's my role, not her role. And it ought to be the role of a lot more men in America today and a lot less women, in my opinion. But you've got to dwell with understanding, find out where those sensitive points are and minister to those sensitive points and you're going to be a lot better off as will our whole society. Know your wife, dwell with understanding. Then he says, honor your wife. Proverbs 31, 28 declares, her husband praises her. What a wonderful thing to do. Have you bought the card yet? They have a whole section which is for wives on Mother's Day. Have you found that out, gentlemen? You husbands, honor your wife. With the words love and honor before us, it is the picture of Christ giving himself for his bride, the church. He would die for her. Every woman needs to feel that her husband would be willing to do just that for her. Out of that comes the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of that flows out of being willing, honoring, loving. I picked up Larry Christensen's book again, The Christian Family, preparing for today, and I saw in there a humorous story out of his own life which emphasizes honoring the wife. When Larry was a little boy, he had argued over something with his mother, and as he left the room, he shouted to her, You're a big dummy! His father had just entered the premises and heard that, and his arm shot out, caught Larry by the shirt front, and lifted him right off the floor. And he said, Who's a dummy? And little Larry blubbered, I'm a dummy, I'm a dummy, I'm a dummy. <laughs> his older brother burst out in laughter and his father was fighting back a smile. But Larry said, I learned that if he ever abused his mother, he would incur the wrath of his father. He honored her. And that's our role as men. And then, finally, Ephesians 6.1 says that children are to obey their parents. So we need to talk for a moment about you children. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord, Colossians 3.20. You know what I found? Only two words in all the Bible that are directed to children that I would call commandments. One is obey and the other is honor. 
In Exodus 20, the fifth commandment is, Honor your father, father and your mother that your days may be long on the earth. That word means great respect or high regard. It is a commandment with promise that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Obeying and honoring is the responsibility of the children. And I might add, it's the responsibility of the parent to make sure they obey and they honor. That's where they learn it. I cannot express these two biblical points any better than writing this note to my sons and reading it to you, which I have done. Dear Andy and Rick, I shall never forget the day you both were born. Your mother and I were so proud. You were perfect in every way. You have grown to be handsome, productive young men and have provided two beautiful daughters-in-law and the six most fantastic grandchildren in the world. We, that is mom and I, miss you around the house, at least a little bit. But our lives are changing. We go to bed earlier than we used to for some reason and really don't mind a quiet evening at home reading and hardly talking, just realizing we are together and God has been good to us. The thing that blesses me the most as I write to you both today is that you have and are fulfilling the command of Scripture. You have always obeyed and honored your parents. Our family skirmishes have been few because of that, and our family blessings multiplied. Your greatness will not be in accordance with the size of church you may pastor, or how much of this world's goods you may acquire, but it will be because you honored and obeyed. And now, may the blessing your mother and I feel today be multiplied six times over in your lives as those precious gifts God has given to you repeat the example of their fathers. I love you very much, Dad. I don't know anything that says it better than experience. That out of a family that God has been very gracious to, we can say to this entire community today, there are two key words, and we better remember them and get them into the psyche of our young, or we will end up in despair and ruin. Obey and honor. We see such a terrible lack of both today. We had better ask God to help us somehow instill that in our young. There is no future if we don't. Now, my closing remarks will be my own paraphrase of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great love chapter. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but lose my family, I have become as sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but lose my family, 
I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but lose my family, it profits me nothing. God has called us together on this family day to examine that very unique unit, the foundational unit of society, the family. You wives, be submissive. You husbands, be loving and understanding. You children, be obeying and honoring. And I cannot tell you the outflow of that. It is beyond human comprehension. It is beyond anything that we could even conjure up today because God blesses that kind of a family. And I want to say that it is not necessary for our families to be falling apart. It is not necessary for all of these divorces to be going on. It is not necessary for this brokenness to be affecting our society as it is today if we will just come back to the simplicity of the teaching of the Bible. We can be healed if we will take our position as wives and fathers and children. He will again pour out his blessings upon us. Oh, yes, it takes sacrifice. Yes, it takes some giving as well as taking. Yes, it takes a lot of work. But if you lose your family, you have lost, in my opinion, everything that matters. And it is not God's will. May the Holy Spirit speak to wives and speak to husbands and speak to children. This church is a family church. Our programs are all designed for the family, every part of the family, because we have a deep commitment to biblical families. May God put his Holy Spirit on us now as we bow our heads in prayer, as we have looked at what the Bible says about the family. May we now allow the Holy Spirit to quicken our hearts that we might obey, do what his word expresses to us. I'd ask you to all remain with us until we have given the benediction. Let us not be leaving now. It is not reverent to God, nor is it right. Just hold your places now, and let's let God speak to our hearts. Father, one of the greatest maladies in society today is the deterioration of the family. And on this Mother's Day, you have given us the opportunity to say some things that need to be said about the family. We're not hearing it from the media. We're not seeing it on television. Far from it, Lord. So we come back to the ageless, timeless book of God for some answers. Some in this congregation, Lord, are going to have to make some strong adjustments if they're going to be a family that you can bless and work through. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give them the courage to face up to the realities 
that whatever adjustments need to be made will be worth it in eternity if they save the family. So speak by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. While our heads are bowed, I first would like to ask how many of you in this service today need to make a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ? If somehow today would be the day the Lord would return, you know that you would not be ready to meet him. I would like your hand to go up in the air and say by that, Pastor Cole, I don't want to miss that. I want Jesus to come and live in me, and I open my heart to him today. Would you slip your hand up right now, wherever you sit? Let me see it. Hold it there until I do, and then you may put it back down. I would like to receive Christ into my life. Thank you back here. I see your hand there. God bless you. Lift it up as high as you can. Let me see it. Then you may slip it back down. Do it right now. I want Christ in my life. Thank you over here, ma'am. I see your hand. God bless you on my left hand. Others, you need Jesus in your life. He died to save you. He gives you the answers for life but you have to open your heart to him. Would you do it right now? Just lift your hand by that hand. Say, I receive Jesus into my life. I know it's the thing that I need to do, and I do it now, trusting he will save me and forgive me, become my Lord. One more time, if you raise your hand, let me see it now. As I look one more time, God bless you, sir. Thank you right here. Anyone else, lift it up right now as I'm looking. Thank you, back there. Yes, God bless you on my right. God bless you. And over here again on my left, another. Thank you. Now, before we lift our heads, I want to ask how many of you need help in your family? You don't know how I carry a burden for your family. Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, I need some help. I know God is able, and I want to lift my hand on this family day. Do it right now, will you? Do it right now. Lift it up. Lift it up. Lift it up. Let it be a sign of faith that you believe God is able.